And we're back. It's Make It Big. I'm your host, Paul Stinson. This time on the podcast, we have Chris Mazowak of Radio Birdman. Radio freaking Birdman, people. This is going to be a good one. Check it out. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Make It Big. I'm Paul Stinson. This is my podcast. Glad you're listening, or if you're returning, glad you're returning. Uh, what's up in your world? How are things going? The very awesome episode, uh, maybe one of the most exciting episodes for me. I got to talk to guitar legend Chris Mazowak. Proto-punk Australian band, Radio Birdman, cult favorite, hugely important band, uh, inducted into the, what is it, the Australian Recording Industry Association uh, Hall of Fame, I believe is what they call it. It's essentially Australia's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's the kind of person we're talking to today, man. Member of the Hall of Fame in Australia. Chris's career is long storied. He's been, he started out with uh, Radio Birdman, was in The New Christ for a time. Oh, The Hitmen, Screaming Tribesmen. He's done tons of producing. His discography is huge, so long that I couldn't even wrap my brain around it, which we talk about a little bit. A lot of producing, a lot of work with other people. His current project, uh, he lives in Spain. The Vero Wave Riders, a super cool kind of surf, almost like surf on speed or something. Uh, really like tough but amazing guitar work. He's a just a killer guitar player. It was a super honor to talk to him. And so weird thing about this podcast, normally I do them in person because I don't like Skype. This one I did by Skype, and you'll see why I didn't like it. There's some dropouts. There's the little glitchy parts that Skype likes to throw in there. Uh, not not too awful, but um, I wanted to get this podcast in the can now because we are honored enough. Uh, well, my band Phantom Fifth is very honored to have Chris joining us for some shows in California and in New York, and I wanted to talk to Chris ahead of that and get this up so, you know, promote the shows and, and, and get his voice out there. It's one that deserves to be heard. Super interesting guy. Uh, very strong opinions, you will see. <laughs> we have some slight differences of opinion, but that's fine. He, um, he backs his up, and uh, I completely respect that, and I understand where he's coming from. So um, he, he's a man, he, he does not mince words, so that was great. It just it was a bit, an honor to talk to him, and it's going to be just amazing to play with him. The shows that we have coming up, we <clears throat> have our website phantomfifth.com. Um, you can always look at my website paulstensonmusic.com. They're also listed there. But the shows that we're doing with Chris, it's going to be July twentieth at Brick and Mortar Music Hall in San Francisco. July 22nd, uh, Oakland, the Uptown Nightclub in Oakland, California. July 24th, the Viper Room in L.A., of course. These are all still in California. And then we're coming back to New York, and we're going to do a show on July 29th 
at the Bowery Electric, one of our favorite clubs here in the city. Uh, all with Chris. Maybe try and squeeze in some recording with him. He's got to get back to Spain, where he now lives. Uh, you'll see we talk about that. Anyway, I'm super stoked for this episode. Uh, if you don't know Radio Birdman, you need to pause this right now and get on your YouTube and go watch their live stuff, um, their reunion shows, uh, anything. Listen to their albums. Um, go to Chris's website, too, to find out what he's doing. He's at chrismazowak.com. It's M-A-S-U-A-K, chrismazowak.com. Anyway... This is a great conversation, despite the fact that it's on Skype and there's a little technological glitches here and there. It, it didn't turn out too badly, and we got to talk for a good long time. I really appreciate him uh, giving me all the time because it's uh, he's got amazing stories and just he's an amazing repository of musical history and knowledge and an all-around great guy. So that's it. That's uh, the news. Hope to see you at the shows. As usual, if you want to get in touch with me, go to my page, uh, paulstensonmusic.com, and there's an email thing there. Uh, just submit a comment, a question. Please, if you listen to us on iTunes, I would love for someone to give a review, uh, rating, or whatever like that. It really helps get the show promoted. Oh, speaking of promotion, we are now on Stitcher. Your home for all kinds of audio, cool podcasts, um, stitcher.com. You can get us, subscribe to us there, or if uh, you can always subscribe to us through iTunes. You can, of course, get it on my website, wherever you get your fine podcasts. That's hopefully where you can find mine. Not quite as fine podcasts, but always working on making it better. If you have any suggestions in that respect, please let me know. Anyway, I am rambling, as I usually do, so let's cut this shit off and get to our talk with Chris, guitar legend Mazuak on Make It Big. Oh, geez, and how could I forget? Please stay tuned to the end of the episode uh, where you will hear Niagara from the Vivero Wave Riders, one of the songs off their new album that you can get on Chris's website or I-94 Bar Records, so stick around for that. It's awesome. Into some uh, Wings of Steel by the Hitman. Oh geez, <laughs> you're one of these guys. Your disc, your discography is so huge. It's like impossible to go back and like even get your arms wrapped around it. <laughs> oh look, there's, there's a lot of we, we had a we had a hell of a repertoire. I mean, the Hitmen used to do gigs, and we were a very popular pub band, and we would play and play and play, and we never ran out of songs. It's, were they all originals? Well, you, you probably did some covers, but just looking at the back of one of the album covers, or you know, twenty four songs on it or something. Oh, we did a we did a we had a lot of originals, but we had a, had a very extensive uh, covers base. We did we did nearly every Blue Oyster Cult song. We did you know all the MC Five stuff. We we were basically like taking all that kind of music into the Australian suburbs. Wow, and and you know this is you know late seventies, eighties, and people hadn't heard that stuff before, and we were kind of, you know, we were really championing championing that music. So, um, you know, we had we had a huge covers repertoire. Sure. Wow. Well, what um go is it Mazuak? Mazuak? Yeah. How do you okay? Yeah. What uh so you're from Canada originally? What what uh what is the origin of the name? Mazwak, like what? What were your parents? Uh, Matt, we, we're, um, my, my, um, 
my family and my dad's side are from the Ukraine. My oh, my grandfather my grandfather was a, a Cossack and a war hero in World War One, and somehow um, managed to get out before the communists really took over. And on my mom's side, they were Polish aristocracy. <laughs> wow, crazy! So we had a clash clash of. Uh, cultures within the family you must have had some good food though oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> what so did you grow up in british columbia uh british columbia and in northern alberta okay as a matter of fact as a matter of fact in fort mcmurray when it was a frontier town so um, you may have heard about that in the news that something like eighty thousand people were evacuated because of fires up there oh wow recently yeah, so- just, just now. Okay, okay. I had not. Do you have family back there still? No, not anymore. I've okay. got family in Canada, but not, not, a, not in Fort McMurray. My mom was from uh, Toronto, but I'd only been up there a couple times. So you were, yeah. up, you were up in the cold areas. It's beyond cold. I think there were times when it was 70 below. Oh, I can't even begin to imagine. <laughs> well, you know, I... I, I I remember going to school, and we'd go from porch to porch, and we wouldn't think very much of it. And, um, you know, we always wondered why the kids in Vancouver got to stay home when it snowed. But uh, we, we always, you know, just took it as, as uh, normal. <laughs> well, what, were you in a, was it a small town? I mean, I can't imagine huge population up there. Well, look, it was, uh, it was the frontier. They were, my, my dad's job was actually putting in the telecommunications so there was no TV, no radio, no nothing. So he was putting in, you know, telephone systems and whatnot. And they had just discovered the Athabasca tar sands. So, um, you know, that was just it was just a frontier town. And how did you get into music then? I mean, what did you guys have any entertainment in the the home? Anyone else play instruments or anything? Oh, my my dad is like the Commander Cody song says. My my daddy was a rounder, wore a rounder's hat and coat. He used to play the banjo, but he never, you know, he used to strum the banjo, but he couldn't play a note. <laughs> that, that's my dad. He was, he's a, an avid musician with, um, with much more uh, enthusiasm than ability. Sure. Well, that can rub off on kids, though, at least the enthusiasm. Well, we, we had no radio. We had no TV. We had a piano. And um, I got into that when I was, I think, five years old and, and kept playing. And then my dad gave me uh, this this homemade guitar that he, one of his uncles had made in the 50s or 60s. Wow. And uh, and, and that ruined my life. <laughs> yeah. I, one of the things I read on your, uh, on your webpage or something is about your tradition of playing unfashionably loud guitar, <laughs> which I yeah, love. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, there's that's that's the company line in some circles, um, but you know, if it's not loud, then you know, what's the point? What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing I love, and, 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 and to be fair, you know, what I I used to I used to ask the sound guy, I'd ask the guys on stage, you know, I'll, and I would never turn. But what I did do was I covered speakers, and I would you know I would do whatever it took to make everyone happy. 
but these days it's very popular to say, oh, Mazowax, just, you know, he plays too loud and da-da-da-da, and that's why he's not in the band. And <laughs> sure. Well, I, that's my favorite kind of guitar playing is the unfashionably loud type. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like it loud, you know, I don't mind. Well, you know, why else? Why else play if you can't have it loud? The thing I love about your style of playing is you're one of these guys who it's, you know, the guitar, the chord, into the amp, and just amazing technique and really loud and precise. And it's, you know, there's not, not you're not trying to make the guitar sound like something else. You know, you're not getting, going through all kinds of crazy effects. It's really just, here, I'm an amazing guitar player. You're going to hear every note. Well, you know, it's 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 all that old technology. I, I, I still don't understand new amps, and 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 um, and I think that the the best. I mean, if there's a good reason why people keep on going back and buying vintage stuff because it's it produces the best sound. Yeah, absolutely. And and sadly, well, not sadly, I don't know, but um, it just it just happens that. To make the thing work, you have to abuse the technology, and um, you know the, the fact that you know all the tubes are distorting and speakers are shredding and all that kind of stuff. Just uh, it was a happy accident in technology at the time, and it seems to work for guitar. And who am I to flaunt that kind of happy accident? Yeah, why well, mess with perfection? What's, That's right. What's your go-to amp today? I have. I I, I used to have a. Uh, 1964 Fender Bandmaster that uh-huh. I ran. Nice. And it finally just hit the deck. I couldn't, I just couldn't find the bits to repair it. Oh, wow. And, and there's a Spanish make, builder here called George. Um, he makes a thing called George Amps. And his amps sound like, um, I've got an amp that one channel sounds like an AC30. The other channel sounds like a Plexi. Interesting. And so I just... I'm, That's great. I'm, it's a great I'm combination. Still, I'm still working with it. I'm still just having fun with it. And I've got a Fender um, Vibro King, um, which I can make a nice noise out of as well. But um, it's just here. It's far too loud for more, most places in, in Europe. Sure. Because the venue's yeah. small and um, it's, it's just too loud. It's too much. I have the same problem because I have a 100-watt Marshall that I just – it's just in storage now. But even when I play gigs in San Francisco, it was always too loud. Because you, you know with those amps, and unless you turn them up a certain amount, you're not getting the tone out of them. So it's it's a real pain. Right. Now I've got an AC-15, and that that pleases people more. You can get a tone at a low volume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the that's the thing. You know, we're, we're playing in smaller and smaller venues, and um, it's getting harder to please everybody. Yeah, yeah, you don't have that room where you can crank the marshal up outside or whatever. How'd you yeah. end up? How'd you end up in Spain? Besides the fact that it's beautiful and has amazing food. Well, yeah. Well, actually, the short answer is really I moved here for love. Ah, I should have said, <laughs> who is it who brought you to Spain? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I was living in Australia, and um, I had this relationship with this girl from from where I live now. And we were deciding where we were gonna, what we were gonna do, and how we were gonna do it. And it just turns out that the immigration laws in Australia are brutal. As it turns out, Australia um, 
has a terrible, terrible reputation for immigrants. Which is so interesting, uh-huh. given that it's a country sort of settled by people from elsewhere. Well, not, I know, not I settled, but uh, you know, pop- later populated by. Yeah, yeah, it, it's very strange, but it has a very, very bad human rights record now. Um, it, it's government or nothing short of short venal, but they have terrible, terrible immigration policies and rules, and it was very difficult to get... Um, to get it organized to bring her over to Australia. So we spent 18 months and I came here instead. Wow. How are you liking it? I'm loving it. This, you, is, this you, is home. Are you fluent? It's, you must be by this time. I'm what? In fluent in Spanish? Oh, God, no. I'm my Spanish. It's, it's appalling. <laughs> um, they, I, I understand most of what's going on, but where I am now, they have Gallego and Spanish and you know, it's a little confusing for me, but mostly they don't seem to understand me. When I when I speak Spanish, I can say exactly the right thing, and they just shake their head and look at me like I'm a crazy person. Well, I know they speak differently in Spain even than in, you know, Mexico or something, and maybe it varies depending on the region as well. Well, I, I actually, I've come to believe that it's something really fundamental. What it is, is they don't have a big multicultural society like ah. in, where you guys are from you know in new york or the, where there you know the big cities in the east or west coasts you can hear a guy from armenia asking for a hamburger right with an appalling um command of the language yet you still understand them because sure. our ears are attuned to hearing everyone speaking a myriad um different accents and these guys in spain just don't have that so, you know, when I speak exactly the right thing, because I don't have the right nuance and the right whatever it is, uh-huh. they just do not hear it. <laughs> well, how about the rock and roll? Does that translate? I've seen some great they, video of they, you guys, of the new band. They they love it. You know, Spain really rocks. And the, and the thing that is really so much fun is they love all the old, you know, garage bands, psychedelia, yep. 60s stuff, and they're really into it, so... And the Vivero Wave Riders, that's your current band, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, and the guys... Because is, is Vivero okay. actually has absolutely no surf whatsoever. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> well, let's go back. How did you get into... Were you a Ventures guy? Because you have so much surf influence and, in, you know, kind of your history of guitar playing. Where, where did that come from? Uh, well, I think... I think going back, you know, and, and listening to... Uh, all that music from the late 70s, so whether it was Radio Birdman or New York Dolls or whatever, mm-hmm. there's, a lot, there's a lot of surf in there. You know, I think no, I think the, the Beach Boys and, um, and the Ventures and surf music has a bigger part to play in all that so-called Detroit rock stuff than people are prepared to admit. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that. Huh. You think there's a connection, connection from the MC5 to Jan and Dean, and uh. <laughs> I, th- I think there is, you know, and you know, there's no greater players than the guy, you know, they were the, the guys in the MC5 were are my favorite hard rock players of all time. Yep. Sonic Smith's my all time favorite guitar player, and um, you know, those guys listen to jazz too. But oh I, yeah, I, yeah, I bet I bet you they learned by listening to the Ventures. 
Wayne is a big jazz head. We we have a weird incidental Wayne Kramer connection because he played on one of my albums a long time ago. Played a couple songs. Great guy. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've so, met him a couple times. He he's played um with the he played on the first kind of Radio Birdman reunion tour and he was phenomenal. Oh, I bet. I bet. Was that the one in uh two thousand? Wait, no, ninety six. Yeah, it was way back in ninety six or okay. something like that. Well, let's, so I've read somewhere that the first record you ever got was Sgt. Pepper's. Is that true? That's, that's right. Um, it was, a, I think my brother and I bought it together. And um, that was our first kind of real, real record. We had one of those little uh, record players where you lift the lid up. Oh, and yeah. Yep. And we had a little box full of singles. And um, my grandfather was a, was a big music fan so he would often buy a whole bunch of budget 45s and he wouldn't know what was in the package and we just listened to them all <laughs> and um and, I, and then i had a, i had a, i had a stepbrother who uh, whose record um collection i i plundered because i was maybe three or four years younger than him and that was like a vanilla fudge and Jimi hendrix and cream uh-huh and, uh who else Iron Butterfly, so so you got got oh, it. Steppenwolf, Steppenwolf got into it through the older sibling. Always a good way. Yeah, it's great. Really, really great. And where would you even get records? I mean, I'm stereotyping, but I'm imagining like a general store kind of situation where you walk uh, look, through the snow. Or I'm sure it wasn't like that. No, well, I mean, by by this time, I'm I wasn't up in northern Alberta. I was I was back down in you know like Kamloops or something. And, uh, you know, there's record stores and music stores and whatnot. Okay. I remember, going to, I remember going to a music store and seeing all these Dan Armstrong plexiglass guitars. Well, yeah. And, um, and just, you know, looking at it and going, what the heck is that thing? And, and that's my number one guitar at the I've moment. I've seen that. I've seen it. Yeah. First, I'm playing that one the most at the, mo- at the moment just for the fun of it. But uh, yeah, there's other, we had we we had civilization. <laughs> you know, I went down to the states one once when I was about thirteen with school band or something, and went into Washington State, and people were saying, "Do you have TV in Canada?" Oh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one channel. <laughs> yeah, channel. What did you, so you started playing piano, and then the uh, the homemade guitar. Which do you still have that the homemade guitar? Uh, I, I, I lost it for a lot of years and I, I've, um, a friend of mine and an old, old friend of mine has it in Australia at the moment. Oh, interesting. And so the next time I go back, I'll pick it up off him. Well, so what, uh, so it's, so it's still alive. What did you start playing first then? The guitar or the piano? Were you playing, you know, songs that you heard on records or on the radio or, or how'd you I, start? I used to, I used to plunk along to the bass lines to, to anything that was playing on on the record player, really. Mm-hmm. So whether that was, um, you know, I think we listened to a lot of Beatles records back then. Sure. And um, so I was plunking along to that, and you know, it didn't occur to me that you could play chords. I think that came a bit later on. And then um, when I when I was about thirteen, I ended up in a small town, and I was like thirteen years old. Um, I had an amp. There was a couple of other guys in town that were a bit older, and we put together a band. And for some reason, I was the lead singer and the lead guitar player. Excellent. So, so I, 
and I and I we were and I had to get permission to play at the bars, and we were playing Credence, um, Guess Who, country songs, Ricky Nelson. I don't know what else. You're the front man uh, at this point. Well, I, I guess I guess I guess I was. <laughs> well, you're singing and playing. <laughs> I was a singer and player. I mean, you know, well, that, that's not saying a lot. I mean, that, all that means is I was probably, you know, the the best player in the band at the time. But sure, you know, that's not a hell of a lot. We had two drummers because there were two drummers, two drummers in town. So <laughs> one make you know? use of the resources that you have. <laughs> that's excellent. <laughs> yeah, were you getting so, paid? So I think that was a bit of a learning. We were getting paid. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, we were getting. I don't know. I don't know what you get paid by the. What do you call it? The Rotary Club. But we got. We played a sure. few dances. Sure. And how long did that band last? Well, that was a couple of years while I lived in that town, and then I went from there to another little small town in southern BC, and then off to Australia. And was your family moving around, or were you off at school or something? My my stepfather was in was in construction okay he had a he had a cool job i didn't realize this or discover this till a long time later he was a troubleshooter so if there was a problem wherever the problem what may be on the planet with a with a um a construction site his job was to go in and sort it out so and uh wow anywhere that's anywhere and he um, went to Australia because they were building a big port development in Botany Bay, and they were having trouble with the Australian unions, which at that time were um, extremely powerful and very, very corrupt. <clears throat> and um, and the style of man- management in, in the country was very British. That is to say, the workers were over there, and the management was over there in the in the air-conditioned um, sure. office, and between them was the usually English um, union representative, who was, you know, really hardcore socialist. Got it. And, um, and it was co- just complete mayhem. So my old man went in there and sorted him out and, um, and changed, I think he changed Australian union history by doing that. That's amazing. Things change. And we're... So, uh, did you want to move to Australia, or were you a fan of this moving around, or were you like, hey, I've got my band going here? <laughs> we didn't know anything but stupid place. You know, we knew Rolf Harris, and we knew Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. <laughs> and going going to Australia was like going back in time sure. 20, 30 years. You know, they didn't have color TV. You know, they, they had like one one power outlet in a room kind of thing, you know? You, yeah. A little bit warmer too. It was warmer, but you know there were was no air conditioning because you know in in Australia the English built, so they built as if they were living in you know England. So it's these brick houses with no you know no central heating, no air conditioning, no no insulation. It was just we're completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> So what when when you moved there you were still playing I guess did you immediately sort of get in another band or how'd that work out? Uh, the usual thing, you know, I got stuck into some high school bands yep. and we kicked around and played around and and then I just I read about this band in the newspaper. 
called uh, Radio Birdman, and I saw this photo. So they, they were already guys. playing, right? They had already formed and they, had been playing had a while. Just, they had just started. You know, they I think they kicked off in 1974. Right. And um, and by 1975, in de- December 1975, I, I did my first gig with them. And I was, I got 75. How old was I? I was like 15 or 16. And I read when they started out, they had Pip Hoyle in, who was like a, was he a classically trained keyboard player or something? It seems like they might have, uh, he's, might he's, have been a very different band if you hadn't joined. He's, he's playing, yeah, he's, he's more classically oriented. He's a very atypical player. Um, he doesn't have any sense of rhythm whatsoever, but that seems. <laughs> That seemed to work in that context, you know, sure. and extremely idiosyncratic way of playing. But he he had to leave the band for a short time, and um, and I just kind of stepped straight in because I had been going to all their gigs and had become a friend and fan. Yeah. So did you sort of already know their songs? And, totally. And 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 then the band went in and did their sort of seminal recordings, and that was that. At uh, Trafalgar Studios? Is that where you guys recorded? Yeah. yeah. Well, how, like, um, between the time you joined and recorded was maybe a year or something? Mm, I think their first recordings were in 76 or something. So, yeah. Yeah. Probably a year of a year of plunking around, yeah. And based on some of the videos and what I've read, the shows could get kind of crazy. And there was, well, I guess talk about you guys took over some pub and renamed it the Fun House. Yeah, well, see, you know, you have to remember back in those days, the music scene was very strongly regulated. It was very conservative. You know, the stuff on radio was very straight. You know, in those days, the, I mean, this is pre-punk revolution. Right. You know, so it's kind of, cheesy pop and 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 um and it was very hard to find gigs because the the pub owners and whatnot were appalled and horrified not only by the way that the band looked but by their attitude and and, and more particularly by the way they sounded you know there's nothing like that in the country right so it was very hard to find places to play and um so when we did find a place you know, all the fans would come to that place. The scene would come to the venue. Um, these days, you know, the venue sort of purports to be the scene. Right. <laughs> but you were doing all it the, the old way and creating a scene. To we created the scene and we created the, the fun house because we wanted a place to play and we wanted a place to kind of champion that music. And we put in a jukebox, which had all the latest stuff that was coming out from all over the world, whether it was Blondie or the Ramones or the Damned or the Clash or whoever was playing, the Nerves, whatever it was. Uh-huh. We had their singles and it was on the jukebox and that's where everyone heard the song first. And um, and that was our gig. You know, we played there Friday and Saturday night and if there were other bands in town that were, you know, we that passed our criteria, then they got to play there too. And how did, did you take over management of the actual club? It was just a dopey little small room upstairs, you know, big wooden floor. Um, they sold beer over on the counter, uh, on the corner. I don't think there was anything more than that, really. I think maybe a hundred and something people could fit in there uncomfortably. <laughs> and the place got bigger and 
bigger and one day the you know people were spilling out onto the street and and it was just anarchy and um and we knew that we had created something and did you i mean given the connection with detroit uh with tech who was from there and you know the sort of mc5 influence were you guys specifically trying to put together kind of a loud protesty kind of rock and roll band like the mc5 or were you just all the different influences sort of mixed up in a pot no see this, this sort of detroit thing sort of subsequent to the band to the band breaking up and and you know it's kind of a uh an artifice in, okay it, it you know tech was from ann arbor and shurigi was from there um ron ashton and well the ashton brothers are from from there right or lived there at least and um it was a very conservative nice town it just happened that you know he had this detroit thing going but in actual fact radio birdman's influences extended far wider than detroit i mean we we were big big rolling Stones fans we were big big jan and dean fans beach okay. boys you know we um the i said the rolling stones Alice Cooper, of course, New York Dolls. You know, there there's yep. far more rock and roll in America than in simply in Detroit. Sure, but it sort of stuck because you know it was cool to come from Detroit, and and it was kind of part of um, this mythology that he spent decades building up. You know, it's part right. of Detroit hierarchy or something. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Jan and Dean because your song Bruhita, when I heard, I immediately thought with the harmonies, it's very Jan and Deany. I love Jan and Dean. You know, I, I love, I like, I really love cheesy harmonies. I think it's um, so much fun doing it. And and I'm very very lucky because the guys that I have in the band here are really into trying and going for harmonies, which is very unusual for a European band. Interesting. Really? Huh? Yeah. They usually just don't do it. You know, like you can't, you can't get people to, to do this kind of stuff, but these guys are really completely into it. And not only that, they don't even know what the hell I'm singing because they're, <laughs> of course. <laughs> their English is, is probably on par with my Spanish. Right. Right. But you're, you're able to communicate musically though. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, it's it's very interesting. I had a, I had a kind of a run with this this kind of kind, these guys from another little village not far from here, and but they were kind of not very, um, you know, serious musicians, and and so I was kind of stuck. And I discovered that just across the street from me, this heavy metal drummer lived. So I kind of got to know him, and he, yeah, I'd love to play with you. And so you know, I started feeding him MC5 records, Blue Oyster Cult records, uh -huh. just for reference points. And he was just like, wow, you know, his favorite drummer now is Albert Bouchard. Or is that Albert the drummer? I can't remember. It's a bit one of the Bouchards. Right. And um and then and then he said, Oh, well, my uh, my guitar player would love to play bass. Oh yeah, sure, yeah, great. So I had these guys from this metal band playing with me. And <laughs> and this guy from this bass player, he's not even a bass player, he's one of Spain's most esteemed classical guitar players really he, play, he plays with symphony orchestras and stuff you know and this is your current then, bass player yeah you know and then he comes down slumming it with with me on on the weekends he has off so rocking out though <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and he's, you know, and, and great singer, great player. You know, I mean, yeah, that band sounds amazing. And I, I was just listening to uh, the sides, the M, the the songs you sent over. Oh yeah, I yeah. had seen Brujita and um, a couple of the other ones on YouTube. So great stuff and niagara you got to tell me about the niagara connection because i wasn't familiar with her before i started reading about her and then saw some of the hitman shows that you did with her well wait well way back oh gee 80 1985 or six or something like that dark carnival came to australia to do a tour Mm -hmm. with with the hitman which was one of my bands and niagara was the lead singer ron ashton was the guitar player uh, Greasy Carlisi, another uh, famous Detroit guitar player. Um, I can't remember who was on bass and drums. It was just really fabulous guys. And um, we did this run, and we got to be like real good friends with with this, which are you know, which are Detroit, you know, gods really. You know, yeah. Ron Aston, Niagara, from, you know, the Stooges, Destroy All Monsters, all that kind of stuff. And um, and then years go by, years go by. Um, and Niagara comes to Australia to do a um, to do a, a thing for her artwork. She's she's promoting her art, and someone had told her that you know, um, yeah, I'll put together this this show for you. You know, we'll do some some playing, and but they didn't follow through with it, and um, and told her, well, no one's interested. It's only old people. And I said to her, <laughs> I said I said we'll do it. My band will just we'll do it. She says, "Yeah, really, you know." And her and her husband, the, the Colonel, "Are you kidding?" So, "No, no, no. We we know all your songs already. Send us a tape next time you're around. We'll do it." And sure. we did. And so we recorded that live Niagara album, which I think is really great. Yeah, Pretty, yeah. Really Some great. of the show, the footage I was watching was amazing. Well, yeah, what's the? So what the thing I'm. <laughs> One of my favorite bands growing up was the Ramones, and so when I read that you know Radio Birdman was supposed to be on a Ramones tour of the U.S., that had to have been like one of those opportunities that you wonder what would have happened if you know that tour had gone through. Well, I think by that time the band had kind of imploded. You know, I think sort of narcissism and ego had kicked in in certain members, and the band kind of just fell completely apart. Not only that, but we had lost our contract with sire right yep and and they were having their internal problems they were shedding you know people that they didn't want around them yep and um you know this, this band with problems from the antipodes wasn't high on their on their list <laughs> so it kind of completely fell apart i think the thing with sire was that you got ahead as if you were prepared to sleep with certain people <laughs> interesting <laughs> You didn't sleep with the right people, Chris. <laughs> uh, well, I, 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 I was I was only like nineteen, twenty years old. I didn't know who to sleep with. Right, 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 right. I was I was lucky to to sleep with anyone by that at that in those days. <laughs> or they were giving you the signals, but you didn't you didn't pick up on. Them. <laughs> I, I, I didn't I didn't pick up on those ones. You know, I thought what. <laughs> so what? Immediately after that, you sort of got into the hitman, then, right? Yeah, when when um. When Birdman kind of fell apart, you know, I came back to Australia. I didn't know what to do, and the Hitman were had kind of had sort of morphed out of Birdman as a party band, and oh, it took us it took us well a party as in we just did tons of covers, you know, like yeah, whatever 
mostly stuff from or Elvis or you know whatever the stuff that was kind of what what would now be called hip, but at that time was completely unknown. Right. And, uh, right. So you know we were kind of a party band. We played just <laughs> house parties basically, and it took us quite a few years to kind of cement a direction. And we had all the more problems because all the people in the business that wanted to be in the Birdman camp, we didn't let them in, took it out on us. Ah, uh, yeah. So, and we, we didn't let us play with you guys back then, so ha-ha. Uh-huh. Right, and right, get back at you. So we, we coughed a lot of flack, but it gave us the time to develop a direction and a sound, and we kind of um, took, our, took our keys from our favorite bands. So, you know, we took... Um, Blue Oyster Cult and the MC5 and Alice Cooper and mm-hmm. you know all the stuff we learned in Birdman and we tried to to take it up to the next little level. Um, we wanted to, we wanted to be good musicians. We wanted to be like as as adept as the Blue Oyster Cult and as tough as the MC5. You know we wanted that stuff. Yeah. And so and so it took a while to get that aptitude and, and we we finally got there, but no one knew what to do with us. The record companies didn't know what the hell we were on about. They didn't get us, and so we didn't get you know much support. We ended. We were one of the biggest touring bands in the country for over a decade. You know, traveling all over the place. We had our own truck, lights, PA, everything, playing bars and pubs maybe once or twice a night sometimes, and and um, they just didn't know what the hell to do with with the band. Well, it's interesting because Johnny has a real like punk voice, you know. Um, you really sound like a punk band that uh, is playing more melodic, just heavy rock and roll. So I can sort okay. of sort of see that in a way that it's like well, this is a little too aggressive for like a pop rock thing. But you know, uh, and, and we took and we took a lot of our cues from bands like the MC or not the MC. I was going to say we took a lot of our cues from bands like the Dictators. Yeah, 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 yeah. I could see that. Um, and and Janice was a, a tremendous performer we could go anywhere and have the most hostile audience and by the end of the night they were eating out of his hand i win him over yeah and, and we had a band that could just turn on a dime we we just we just followed whatever went on you know we didn't have to stick to the to the you know the formula you know if, if things were happening we could just bam for a while until things sorted themselves out and come come right back into the song and you know we were we were pretty pretty happening we'll see you which is it. why oh go ahead which is why um when when the New Christs um, were were formed as a band to support Iggy's first um, Australian tour, why that band blew Iggy off the stage every <laughs> single night. <clears throat> Was there sort of like a pub rock circuit in Australia where, because uh, it sounds like you know there are plenty of places to play and a lot of people who wanted some you know loud hard rock. Yeah, yeah, there was a, a lot of pubs. There, you know, a lot of beer barns. Yep. <laughs> Pubs usually closed at about ten o'clock at night. So, ah, like played, in England, okay. Yeah, sure. I played a lot earlier back then. So you went on, you know, eight or nine o'clock. You played, and you had to get out. Everything shut down, and then you went out and you know just more or less partied somewhere. Sure. But there's huge, huge pub scene and, and all over the country, and it doesn't exist anymore. Right. Not anywhere, I think. Not in any country, really. No, no, it's all slot machines and, you know. Yeah. Live music is, uh, I want 
almost an irrelevance to a lot of clubs, you know. Like you said before, the club is pretending like they're the scene and you're lucky to be playing there, yeah, and, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, a lot of places in Europe, they have this, you know, band comes on, then you got to get out really fast because it turns into a disco, disco. and then everyone comes in. And it's yep. doof, 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 you know. Absolutely, yeah. There's a place like that here that we played a couple times where, all right, you're off at 11 and then we're turning it into the disco. <laughs> So get all your shit out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, it, it rock music kind of missed one generation or something. And and I think people are starting to get back to it. But there's a whole generation of lunkheads that just don't care, you know. Yeah. They don't know what music is. They're the kind that wear the Ramones t-shirts, but have never heard them. You know? Sure, yeah. Well, it's funny because I was, one of the things that you hear once in a while is, you know, there just aren't any big guitar rock bands you have like the foo fighters and you know that's it because your other sort of yeah, big even, sellers even they aren't very satisfying you know they're kind of yeah big... they're not my cup of tea but still it's like well that's that's what you have <laughs> you know yeah, well you know they had that kind of i mean queens of the stone age were almost yeah. there but yeah but they're they're kind of sort of very serious and now they've gone kind of cheesy you know yeah i love i love his stuff yeah, and uh uh, everything he does, I really like. Include that new album, actually. Josh Home just did with Iggy is a uh, pretty cool. But it's just you don't have guitar rock bands that are sort of the level that they used to be. And I don't know if you ever will again. Well, you know, there's a lot of super great players. You know, like those guys that just rip up and down the guitar. But there's kind of so what? You know? Yeah, yeah. It's, there's no there's no Ross the Bosses anymore. There's no more Buck Dharmas. You know, certainly no um, Sonic Smiths, you know? No, no. Oh, we got, you know, Joe Bonamassa or whatever the guy's name is. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, it's just hurts to listen to that, that guy play. It's yeah. Just, Were you a Wolf, just, uh, Wolf Mother fan? Wolf Mother, I was, um, Wolf Mother is one of the bands I, I loathe most on the planet. I cannot <laughs> stop. Interesting. <laughs> I can't stomach that band, and I and I, I think there's only one person I dislike more than that band. It's Nick Cave. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Greg was telling me that we're gonna have to cut that uh that Nick Cave song from our set. <laughs> no, I, I would never. If I had to play a Nick Cave song, I mean, I would never hear the end of it. I would I would be tormented for the rest of my days. <laughs> Did that come I, down to like a rivalry thing, or you just can't stand him? <laughs> no, I just I just always hated that junkie chic thing that goes oh, on. Oh yeah, yeah. The Melbourne, this whole Melbourne thing, you know, with the Beast Suburban, and I don't know. There's a bunch of other guys that are very, very nice guys, but I don't want to mention their names. Sure. But, um, you know, just this this thing that happens down there is this junkie chic, and I it just makes me gag. Yeah, I could and see I, that. I didn't like. I did I just I couldn't stand the music anyway. You know, <laughs> I wanted to hear. You know guitar player sure well like getting People, back you know, <laughs> getting getting around getting away from junkie chic and back to the hitman how did you come to be on warner brothers then because that seemed to happen fairly quickly right well maybe not after three years or something in you know once once the band had hit its stride we were i mean what you hear on that album the very first hitman album is more or less what we sounded like live you know when you I mean, some of those reissues, you get to hear some live tracks, and the band is, I mean, when I go back and listen to it, I go, God, we were 
good. Yeah. Man, I, I can't believe it. Is that, who the heck's that guitar player, man? <laughs> and and um, so the band was really super good. And so the, the company just picked us up. You know, we were, we were making noises. We were playing lots of gigs. People were liking us. But then the whole corporate thing, they didn't get what to do. You know, they didn't yeah. know what to do do with us how do you market you know how do you market this band are they what are they you know are they a punk band and they, they didn't know see once punk had finished and kind of had its last gasp um that whole corporate machinery kind of reasserted itself and and was pretty desperate to kind of take control again right and so you know in control was to to stop people from making the noises that offended them so much in the first place so yep they wanted to control us, and they couldn't. And were you so, touring the world by then, or mainly in Australia? I know you went to the no, U.S. No, no, we didn't. And in, we we were in the process of setting up a North American tour when Canis had his car accident. Ah, and, and that was the end of it. Okay, <laughs> okay. And then, uh, screaming tribesmen. Well, it, it it wasn't quite that. It wasn't quite that simple. It was um, <laughs> the, the hitman kind of fell apart, you right? Because of this accident thing happened, and um, we had been touring with with uh, Rob Younger as his backing band as the New Christ, right? And um, so that went on for a little while. But this, uh, I mean, the the guy's so relentlessly negative that you know he he just kind of alienated everyone and we just had to leave. Right. And, uh, and I was producing at the time and this band from Queensland asked me to join them and they were really interesting. I did a couple of singles with them and that was the tribesman. So I, I, I joined the tribesman and that's when we kind of ended up touring. Where. So you started out as a producer for them? I started out producing. I did their ah, okay. I, I did their sort of big hits, so to speak, like Igloo, Igloo, and yeah, Standalone, and and whatnot. And um, and I I just really enjoyed enjoyed the band and and um, they're an interesting up, band, yeah. Yeah, they're very interesting. Yeah. Were they on Citadel when you were producing them, or did that happen later? Uh, yeah, that was on Citadel. All that stuff was on Citadel. Okay. Yeah. That album is really... Um, did you play on... Uh, after the first EP, I guess, did you start playing? Or did you play on that as well? I did. Um, I played officially on Date with a Vampire. Uh-huh. And then we did Bones and Flowers. Right. Or Top of the Town, then Bones and Flowers. That's a really interesting album. It's a, a lot of it sounds like The Damned. Um, again, it's I like it because it's really guitar heavy. It's got a little more of the you know '80s guitar. It's got some chorus here and there, but again, a lot of really melodic, tight songs um, with a lot of great guitar. It's a cool band. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. We we were kind of looking for. A bigger, more distorted sound, but that's just the way things were recorded back then. Sure. And then, did you end up touring a lot with them? Or it yeah, seems we like actually, there were a lot actually, of lineup changes in that too. Yeah, there's a, a few lineup changes, but we ended up going to the states mm -hmm. and and we're just 
we were like number one on, I think, over 200 radio stations at the same time at one at one point in like 1988 or something. Yeah, yeah. And on uh, MTV's 120 Minutes, back when they used to play music videos. <laughs> yeah, back, back when it was music television. Who were you playing with uh, in the U.S.? Uh, we were doing a lot of college gigs. We did some gigs with UB40 of all bands. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Makes no sense at all, weird. but sure. We were supporting UB40 and, and a lot of these big college towns. And we did some shows with, uh, what the heck were they called? Um, Jane's Addiction. Oh, interesting. All right. I can so see that. They had, they had just come out and, and we were kind of bemused by them. <laughs> Talk about junkie chic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, their drummer, their drummer was the highlight of the band at, the, at that time. I thought. Uh huh. <clears throat> amazing player. Yeah, definitely. They were. Uh, yeah, they could. They they could put on a good show back then. Once in a yeah, while. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, th- there again, it was really not our cup of tea because it. Yeah. Because they weren't using. They were using a lot of preamp type stuff. They were using a lot of processing, and uh-huh. you know, they'd have these big Marshall stacks, and the Marshalls like on one, you know, and and we're going, what, what, how does this, what's, how does this work as rock and roll, you know? Sure. We didn't, we didn't get it at all. You know, yeah. We wanted to hear this big loud thing, and it was this sort of kind of nice. It was actually nice, you know, with a crazy singer. <laughs> Well, what happened to um, Screaming Tribesmen? I mean, after the after the tour and everything. Oh, gee, we had our own internal problems. You know, the bigger the band got, the more popular it got, the sort of worse we played. And um, hmm. and I think that at that stage, Mick, the singer's um, kind of anxieties, he's a very anxious person. His anxiety started over, and we had a kind of a lot of internal treachery and stuff. You know, the usual Oh, band yeah, thing. yeah, band stuff, yep. So, and you know, it just got too much, and and I, I, I um, I'm I'm sorry to say that I I'm the first one to jump ship, but yeah, I just I just couldn't keep going, you know. I just, that kind of stuff can really wear you down. It's you know, it's not fun to play anymore, and it's like, well, why am I even doing this? You know, that's right. And and I started to explore the concept of just you know forgetting about everybody and just doing my own thing and yeah. that's and that took quite a few years to kind of work through but when did you start putting out solo records well I, I kind of i kind of toyed with that stuff with you know a few country meanderings right just for fun but then i, I started playing um i used to put a band together called the juke savages uh-huh and, and that was sort of you know it was it was it was designed so that I could pick up a guitar in one hand and a little amp in the other and go to a bar and play some stuff, you know? And sure. so yep. we were playing, we were playing original songs. We had a really tight little band, but it was too bluesy for all rock people. It was too rocky for the blues people, you know, it, it confused everybody again, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> always so, confusing the people <laughs> i know what you, you know, mean oh yeah so you know 
I just, I just, you know, eventually kind of morphed into Chris Mazowak and, and now I'm doing whatever it is that I do and, um, and I'm relatively unrepentant about it. It's the best way. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had so, Cl- um, Klondike 40, North 40. Klondike's North 40. Yeah. That, I mean, I was, that's at that, that, at that stage, I was reluctant to go Chris Mazowak. Not, I, I had this thing, you know, Chris Maswak. What the hell kind of name is Chris Maswak anyway? So I was trying <laughs> to hide that or something. You know, I was trying to, I was trying to create a create a vehicle for my stuff. Sure. And in the end, I just went, oh look, you know, I just I just want to go out and play. I don't want all this stuff anymore, you know. And, and yeah. Um, and I couldn't stop writing, you know, by that stage. So. Um, I'm a super prolific writer and, and I just wanted to go out with a band and play stuff and celebrate my history and go forward with it at yeah. the same time. And, um, and as the, you know, as, as the old guard started to fall away, I became the, you know, I was called the professor for a while. The last, someone, last someone man standing. <laughs> yeah. Last man standing, you know. And I went, okay, if, that, if that's my role, I'll, I'll go out and I will teach people how to play. It's not about posing, you know, it's not about creating a false mythology. It's just about playing and, you know, making real music. And, yeah, yeah. And that's what I consider I do now. I kind of keep writing, playing, recording when I can. And when I play, I just play. That's old school. Well, it's fascinating because you're one of these kind of people who's, who is so prolific and you've done just so many different things. And it's always interesting to me, or my own question is, you know, why why don't people, you know, myself included, just give up at some point? Like, well, all right, I'm done with this music business. You know, I'm going to go raise llamas or something. <laughs> Did you ever have a uh-huh. thought of just, I'm forget it, you know, I'm going to go concentrate on something else now? I, I tried to forget it for a while. I became a naturopath and... and- and I had a practice in a clinic for like 20 odd years. Oh, all right. And I never, um, and I tried to recreate myself, but I found that that was, that was the, that wasn't the real me. Yeah. So, you know, it took, I I didn't know what to do. I was, I was conflicted. You know, I, I don't want to be a poor musician anymore. I want to, you know, be a regular human being. And I couldn't, I just wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> not, right. not cut out for being the regular human being. <laughs> no, so I had, I just had to go. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, I'm nuts. So I'm gonna go back and confuse people. <laughs> I am, yeah, if I'm gonna be confused, so is everyone else. Well, that's part of what art is supposed to do. You know, if it's easy, then it's not art. If everyone can understand it. <laughs> I don't think what I don't think what I do is all that inaccessible. It's just that. No, I don't either. I don't, I don't know. I just not deep enough. <laughs> Were you surprised when the Birdman reunion happened the first time? Yeah. Um, I mean, we had. I had been talking to Tech for a little while, and he had come and helped the Hitman with an album, and and a lot of people were throwing a lot of money at the band to. Oh yeah. To, to reform, and at this particular time, nineteen ninety six, we thought, well, okay, well, me, catch it. But the you know the same old dynamics reasserted themselves and right. um, and it just was you know living hell for another ten years or so. 
<laughs> how how much did you actually tour that that first time around? We did quite a lot. I mean, we did um, from '96 till about 2007. We mm-hmm. we did you know the states a couple of times, Europe a handful of times, and all over Australia again. So we did a hell of a lot of. So was it sort of like? Well, we're doing this for the money. Um, was there any enjoy- enjoyment in no, it? I think I think there was a I think there was a genuine desire to kind of make things okay amongst everybody. Sure. But I think this sort of this um, what's the word? How can I do it delicately? Um, there's a kind of a latent narcissism in some of the band members. Kind of was creeping in and and I didn't understand that you cannot reason with a narcissist or a psychopath you know they're very adept charming people very right. good at manipulating things and um, and I always you know I spent I had spent all these years wondering why things were not okay and I'm one of these sort of idiotic gormless people who want to make things work sure so I'm kind of bashing my head against the wall um, being told I'm you know, thin-skinned, and oh, there's nothing wrong. What's you know, what's what's the matter? And constantly, God, what is going on? You know, and, and eventually, it just when the band broke up, you know, I think it did its last gigs in 2007. Yeah, um, it was it was just mayhem. You know, it was just the crazy, terrible stuff again. Back, yeah, just like a yeah. bad old day. Well, that so when the band formed, I was not invited to participate. Right, which I, was kind of a blessing, but it was really a fuck you to to me. I know there was you know, a lot of controversy about that too, and a petition. Well, it's not so much controversial. You know, it's it's pretty it's pretty blatant. You know, the the lead singer didn't want to share the stage with me because of his enmity because I left his band in 1983, and, <laughs> and, and he's suffering from drug psychosis and, and the other guitar player just didn't want anyone to show him up on stage for being an emperor without any clothes so <laughs> uh-huh. well you got I inducted mean, into the the aria yeah and, and well we should we change the nature of music in australia it Absolutely. Was irony. yeah and a lot of other places too i think but it was ironic you know with being recognized by the same people that wouldn't have anything to do with us oh of at course the time. yeah yeah, well that that show was amazing, the the ceremony itself. I mean the videos that I've seen of it, you guys were killing it. Oh, it was that was uh, what well, people on the way to the venue. Pip Hoyle's son died. Oh yeah, I saw that. And we were we were in the process of getting into the van when we were told that. Wow. So we we walked onto the red carpet in absolute shock. Pip hadn't Pip went straight back to Sydney. Sure. And we did the whole night in a complete state of um, disbelief, shock, wow. horror, unreality. Um, all I remember from that night um, was how dry my mouth was and I couldn't get a drink to save my life. <laughs> I didn't realize the news was so close to the ceremony. I had no idea. Right as we were getting in the van on the way to the, to the venue. That's terrible. It was, it, it was 
you know, it was uh, an absolute horror. Wow. Was that the last show of the band then, or no? In, in that, that lineup? At, at that stage, no. We went on to do another run in Europe, which finished the last gig that we did was in um, Athens with our roadie playing drums <laughs> because Russell Hopkinson of UMI mm-hmm. spat the dummy um, at the in- incredible um, unprofessionalism of the band and jumped ship. Really? He was in Calais and just went, screw it, I'm going to London, my wife's waiting for me. I'm not having anything to do with you guys anymore. Bang, I'm off. And oh, just lovely. Left, left us there at the ferry, looking at our toes, and um, we had more gigs to do and and a big problem. So I kind of said, well, what do we do now? We, we have more shows. We cannot not do them. Who do we know that can just jump in and do the shows? After a bit of toing and froing, we realized that the the drum roadie had been with us for several runs, and and could play and so that for the last few shows that birdman played we actually pulled together as a group but that would would have been one of the few times the band actually had a common goal (laughs) played like the Birdman should play a bigger adversity out there that you had to band together to overcome (laughs) yeah Yeah. interesting so there was a lot of you know absolute mayhem in with that band unnecessary stuff yeah yeah well, so, so being around that is not is not causing you to lose too much sleep <laughs> well when's the last time you played in the u.s oh gee i i can't remember i played in canada a couple of years ago up in windsor and toronto um with some really great punk players mm-hmm Rob Sweeney, Cleve Anderson, um, Brian Young, some great, great um, punk Canadian alumni. Um, States, God, I can't remember. That would be two thousand seven or two thousand six, somewhere in there. Was that with Birdman? Yeah, we played. The, the Will Turn. Ones. You did the Will Turn in L.A. I know. Yeah, and we did what? The, what did, was that big place in New York that we played? The um, Highline Ballroom? No, it wasn't the Highline. Um, it was a big ballroom, though, anyway. Oh, big yeah. Place. Something uh, square. Bowery Ballroom? Nah, I can't remember now. All right. I know you played, a, I think you played Great American Music Hall in San Francisco. In San Francisco. Dwayne S. Laxon came to see us. The guy played guitar on, on Rocky's albums. There's another guitar player that people should know about. Rocky Erickson and the Aliens. Yeah, yeah. Dwayne Slaxon um, played guitar on that. That's just um, dynamite stuff. Just, I can't, I just can't rate that guy high enough. That's great. He's a San Francisco guy now. That was good fun. Uh, Well, great. What were you saying? Oh, well, I'm uh, looking forward to having you on tour. (laughs) Get to go back to California. Yeah, we can talk some incredible bullshit. <laughs> so how, tell us about the Vivero Wave Riders. Ah, oh, well, we're, um, at the, well, over the last year, we've kind of been 
taking the flow, I, I, I manifested this um, prolapse disc, and and I and I it was taking me literally three hours to get out of bed. I was in so much pain. Wow. And and I finally sorted that thing out. So um, we're kind of slowly re regrouping. At the moment, we're doing a, a some shows for a, a, a project called Punks for West Papua. And that's to promote um, awareness about the genocide in West Papua, which is a country like 200 kilometers north of Australia. Right. So um, th the only people that seem to show any interest in human rights are punk bands. <laughs> and so a punk collective in, in Australia, uh, Diggers with Attitude, um, put together a... A bunch of shows. A guy called what's his name, Ash Brennan, and Jody Bartolo actually made a documentary about the genocide in West Papua, which has now been um, nominated for an Academy Award. Um, as a result of that, the spokesman for West Papua has been invited to speak um, at the United Nations um, to talk about human rights abuses. So we're that's kind of what we're doing at the moment. We're helping raise awareness for places like West Papua or, you know, Palestine and stuff like that. That's great. Using okay. punk, punk music as a, as a voice. Are there going to be shows associated with that? or? Yeah, we're doing a show, um, oh, God, in about two weeks now. In uh, <laughs> You wouldn't know where, in Farol. It's just a... <laughs> If you're around, come, you know. <laughs> sure, if I'm over in Spain. <laughs> yeah. And what's, uh, what, what's the best way for people to find you? Is it chrismazowak.com? Yeah, chrismazowak.com or on Facebook, Chris Klondike Mazowak. I'm on Facebook. You can keep in touch that way. Great. I always, always answer, you know, people's letters and stuff. Excellent. Well, it's great talking to you, Chris. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Yeah, well, it's, it's getting time for the kids to have a bath and go to bed. Well, all right. And um, still <laughs> calls. <laughs> well, well I, great. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to catching up with all you guys. Yeah, for and, sure. And um, making, making some loud noises. Absolutely. You can be as loud as you want with me. I, I don't. doesn't bother me at all. Okay. Well, there's... <laughs> I'll just blame it all on you. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chris. I will see you uh, in San Francisco. You bet. Okay, Paul. All take right. care. Have a good Thanks. night, man. Bye. Thank you. Oh, and there you have it. Mr. Chris Mazuak coming to you all the way from Spain, somewhere in Spain. I, I actually forgot to ask him what region he is in. Uh, but there you go. Hopefully the audio was not too awful for y'all. That's how we did it. It came out a clear okay. I, I was a little uh, distorted there, but, you know, next time I have to do Skype, maybe I'll, I'll figure it out a little better. Anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, hope to see you guys out there in California. I might try and get another episode posted before I leave with my good friend Ryan Brown from Zappa Plays Zappa. And that's it. Make it big. Go rate us. Uh, leave a comment. Send an email. Um, thank your mom. All right. See you next time. Woo! And here is Niagara from the Vivero Wave Riders. Wave Riders.